Welcome to the InterQuest podcast. I'm Rom Goodman. In this podcast series, we explore various spiritual traditions through discussions and interviews with teachers and seekers as they share their knowledge and experiences on the path of self-knowledge. My guest today is an architect, a filmmaker, and a meditation teacher. Formerly an atheist influenced by Western philosophy, his journey brought him to Advaita Vedanta, the highest philosophy. In this episode, he shares his experience and knowledge, beginning with an overview of Advaita Vedanta, followed by discussions on contemporary non-duality and traditional Vedanta, the importance of the guru's guidance, dangers of escapism on the path, and much more. Please welcome Rajesh Latkar. Welcome, Rajesh. Hariyom. Hariyom. Namaste, Ram. Nice meeting you. Nice meeting you. Yeah, I've been following your... Uh, the stuff you do and you know the yoga practices and your photographs and amazing work you do man I mean uh, thank you I, I, you know you are older to me in terms of age but you look much younger than me because of your fitness oh thank because you the way the, you maintain yourself I must congratulate you for that well yeah. thank you yeah. it, it, it is catching up with me somewhat <laughs> I don't see it though. I don't see it. <laughs> yeah, I just turned 65 and uh, yeah, it's you know, I'm I'm seeing some changes. These bodies aren't meant yeah. to be permanent anyway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> anyway, we know that. <laughs> so, but but lovely. I mean, you're super fit, man. I mean, you're you one can learn something from you. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Now, well, for Advaita Vedanta since uh, some of our guys who are listening to our talk they probably know Advaita Vedanta mm-hmm. and some people probably they don't know Advaita Vedanta. So it would be a good idea to spend a couple of minutes to bring everybody on the same page so that, you know, the, our discussion ahead could be understood in a much better manner by them. That's you perfect. For it? Yeah. That's perfect. Yes. Thanks. Let's do that. Okay. So see, basically in what we call Sanatan or in Hindu religion, there are darshanas what what they're loosely translated as philosophies these are different verticals that different disciples they follow but the ultimate destination of course is final liberation and moksha and these are like you know yoga darshan which you follow so well and then there is mimansa darshan and there is nyay darshan and there are other darshans yoga darshan Vedanta Darshan, which I follow. In Vedanta, again, you have duality, you have non-duality verticals. Uh, but everything takes you to Paramatma. It takes you to Moksha. And that is the whole idea of uh, following it. So, coming back to Advaita Vedanta, which is a part of Vedanta Darshan. Again, that's another topic if I start discussing about how philosophies are different than Darshan. But I'm not getting into that rabbit hole <laughs> because that will be another journey. Right. So, yeah, let's stick to what we have in front of us. So, in Advaita Vedanta, uh, there are some basics that we must understand very clearly, uh, which are Atma, Brahman, Maya, Avidya, and Moksha. Atman is basically my individual consciousness, and Brahman is the universal consciousness. And the whole, uh, what you call, uh, everything about Advaita Vedanta is the this conclusion that uh, there's no difference between Atman and Brahman. 
it is ekatva it is oneness and non separation of atman and brahman so that is the entire message compressed in this one sentence of ekatva non separation non duality then comes avidya avidya is ignorance avidya is ignorance that doesn't let you understand this because of your bad conditioning bad schooling bad sanskara has been you know so though it is there everything is inside us we are unable to see that because it's all corrupted we we our orientation is always outward never inward mm-hmm. so that ignorance is not letting us understand the ekatva that is oneness non separation non duality and of course there is moksha further ahead and most important part and the most confusing part is the part called maya maya is the situation that arises because of our ignorance about everything around us maya is the is illusion maya is an illusion so it it makes us see everything in duality in separation there is happiness there is sadness everything is changing names and forms you know birth mm-hmm. and death that's how that's the world around us and we live in the world of maya in the world of duality there's no denying and moksha is is final liberation from the cycle of rebirths because we are reborn again and again and we suffer again and again and for that liberation moksha is our final liberation and that is guaranteed in 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 advaita vedanta darshan while you are alive that is the difference between advaita vedanta and many other darshanas some darshan will say that after death you will get liberation you will get moksha advaita vedanta says you will get moksha in this while you are alive before death you will become jivan mukta and then you will find uh moksha in this so that is all compressed i mean i have just given you a capsule of right yes compressed up about advaita vedanta and uh, now we move ahead no that's that's a good summary to start from so yeah. that we have a foundation yes that's true, that's true and i also uh, like to later on maybe talk about uh, uh, shri dattatreya shri dattatreya is something maybe i don't know whether you are aware or not but since you follow hatha yoga and mm-hmm. you ho- you follow patanjali mm-hmm. uh, uh, shri dattatreya is uh, he is the guru of patanjali is that what has been said uh-huh. and so much there is this so less not much knowledge about the tatra is available you know everywhere while he is one of the most ancient advaita vedanta practitioner ever and he also the, the like for example if you have you heard about uh, there is a sect called uh, nath sampradaya <laughs> in, uh, in yes. yeah 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 so the tatra is the he is the first guru of nath sampradaya uh, gurus Mm-hmm. they were the, the tatra disciples so this is uh help me with my if my pronunciations on so as in dattatreya so yeah this, this is uh the images i've seen with the four dogs and the symbolism this is exactly. what we're speaking of yes, yes. Mm-hmm. yeah that's right that's right and three heads mm-hmm. so one head is brahma vishnu and mahesh mm-hmm. and this four, four dogs the symbolizes the symbolize four vedas Yes. And uh uh he he 
the advaita vedanta that he spoke about is called extreme advaita vedanta mm. yeah which is which is the strongest form of advaita even it is stronger than adi shankaracharya's uh, advaita vedanta and it is that amazing and there's a he has written a uh, i don't it's a text it's a scripture called avdut gita and ah, yes. yeah, amazing stuff and uh, he has spoken about why should i offer my salutations to the nameless and formless god but it symbolically means that why should i salute myself that's me <laughs> my atma is my guru and everything i see around is me so why do offer my salutations to uh, the nameless and formless god and it's amazing i mean if you'll see that he had 24 gurus of mm. course he if uh, you know and he always said that my first guru is my own atma and many my other gurus had also said i think uh, ramana maharshi had also said that your guru is your own atma first your external guru comes much later like that I mean, and uh, dattatreya uh, he had 24 gurus because he learned so much from nature and uh, his uh, f- of course what we call our body is made of five basic elements like earth water fire air and ether or sky they were his first five gurus plus he had a, a deer as his guru he had a bee as a guru he had a maiden as a guru he had an elephant as a guru you know so he always used to learn from small small things hmm. and he he is so ancient that there are references where uh, his father was one rishi called atri who had contributed in rigveda so he is that ancient so i thought i'll just mention it to you because you are you follow uh, hatha yoga yes you practice yoga so it would be a great uh, idea to share some knowledge on uh, shri dattatre mm-hmm. yeah yes and uh, uh, with the uh, shivananda tradition that i was trained in the, some of the oh. the mantras that we would chant yes dattatre is mentioned in the wow is it uh, acharya shivananda saraswati you follow yes Oh, oh mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. I know that lineage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lovely. Or oh, you have Shivananda Saraswati ji then there's another Tap- Tapovan Swami also was I think was very extremely connected to them. Uh and then you have uh uh Chinmay Chinmayananda uh, Saraswati who was also from that lineage. Yes. Then you have uh, Dayananda Saraswati of Arshvidya and yes. uh, they're doing some the legit people you know they're doing some fantastic work all over the world and uh, they're all learned people they follow uh, they know sanskrit language they follow traditional um, advaita vedanta similarly same with uh, ramkrishna mission which mm-hmm. is which starts with uh, ramkrishna paramhansa and then swami vivekananda and his disciples and that school you know mm-hmm. legit people amazing stuff no sanskrit no basics yes i've uh, i've been very fortunate that um here in kansas city in the us where i live there's a chinmayas group here uh, i've been to a lot of the study groups um the, the acharyas would lead so yeah that's been very helpful and within walking distance from my house is the vedanta society of kansas wow. city <laughs> love amazing yeah <laughs> So I'm fortunate in that respect. <laughs> That's lovely. I mean, I also I've followed your journey. It's amazing. I mean, you changed your name and there were resistance and with you how you coped up with that and the societal 
resistance sometimes in the world of maya is very tough it's not that easy yes uh, i um i had wanted to legally change it but at this point with some other issues and family i i have not yeah. but it was a name yeah. give, given to me by uh, bharat gajar head of a shivananda center in wilmington delaware all right but again as uh, we say that the the names and forms are only important in the world of maya and duality in yes. that world of non duality just oneness and mm-hmm. stillness and silence and and uh, ekatva and mm-hmm. that's oneness uh, yes and then we have uh, we have this contemporary non duality yeah if you would like to go into that now or sure uh i love everybody and anybody who talks about non duality and uh, you know we have our own different approaches some people follow the start from the text some people uh have influences from various sources and as long as in the end they say that it's all over oneness and non separation and we're talking the same thing and we're reaching the same destination so it's fine mm-hmm. uh but i would just like to comment on on the difference between traditional advaita vedanta which is also non duality ancient school mm-hmm. and today's contemporary non duality uh, stream as i call it which is also texas this to the same place but uh, there are some amazing points sometimes i feel that no, uh, contemporary non duality followers miss out Mm-hmm. uh which if they wish they could add in their practices or in their abhyasa uh the first one is there is no mention of moksha in contemporary uh, non duality i mean they they understand that we must live in the present nothing is everything everything is nothing and it's all story and you no know, stuff like that fair enough but that is kind of self realization that is that helps you in balancing life in seeing things with a lot of clarity but advaita vedanta says it stresses on this that you there is suffering all the time in this life there are diseases there is old age and all this and if you come back again next time in this world you are going to go to the same cycle that will be horrible even mm-hmm. just imagining that is it's so sickening mm-hmm. so we need liberation from the pain and sorrow permanently and that is what is moksha is all about and moksha is if you follow advaita vedanta and its teachings and do abhyasa which is practice every day then there's a you reach a stage called jivan mukti and through which you achieve moksha mm-hmm. so that is the basic difference i sometimes see between a uh, contemporary non duality and uh, traditional advaita vedanta then i also see there's there's bhakti which i love so much you know it it brings that love aspect into the mm. whole thing it's not cut and dry it is so lovely the, you know that intensity comes and so i also love bhakti my bhakti for my guru my love for my parmatma which is my nameless formless god which is uh, Uh, sometimes some people also see it in form because uh, that's how it is your god is available to you the way you wish if you are a gyani or j n a n i different pronunciations are being used for this gyani gnani right so <laughs> it's pro- 
this is pretty confusing so if you are a jnani of a higher level then you will of course you don't need uh, a god that has a form and a name but if you are an early jnani obviously you need a you need a god that has a form and name because that's how i'm going to understand it better so that is the bhakti part of it you know that i love about uh, advaita vedanta then i love the the aspect of guru in advaita vedanta because it is our belief and time and again i felt that it is so important that without guru there is no final liberation without guru it is not possible to get uh final moksha because uh, it's it is a gyan marg we are on the path of knowledge and there are many pitfalls and you need a knowledgeable person a person of much higher intellect than your knowledge who will always keep you guiding you mm-hmm. because without guru to you will reach there after 100 years but with guru i'm going to reach there in 10 years that is the importance of guru and uh, also i see that there is so much wealth of information in upanishads which is the concluding part of vedas it's also called vedanta and that wealth is something i believe the contemporary non duality people miss out on because uh, it's uh, it is life changing information like you know all this mahavakyas you must have heard tapasmi mm-hmm. and uh, aham brahmasmi so these are just small sentences but there's so much of knowledge available in upanishads uh, which is there and the last part i feel that uh, there is something called abhyasa which we have in advaita vedanta which is regular practice of uh, a meditation there is a particular style of meditation which is not very longer it is a, a small duration meditation which is dhyana in mm-hmm. yoga darshan of course you have a very longer session there are so right. many other things but our, our uh, practice it's a small uh, dhyana is a small part dhyana or sadhana and after that we have a longer section which is shravan hmm. manan and nididhyasan all this compressed together can be termed as uh contemplation reflection on on the central theme of brahman hmm. under your guru's guidance and uh, which i think is an amazing experience which uh, they miss out on yeah that's it that's my observation but again uh i i hope people take it sportingly and the stories in the upanishads too so yeah lovely lovely mm. story yeah but again it's a the best part about upanishad it's written in a, a foristic style it is it's uh, the, some of the upanishads are so small like for example mandakya upanishad which is considered the most important upanishad it has i believe only 12 verses or something mm-hmm. and it says some of the most profound things ever so that that's where we get the um, the the explanation of of uh prabhana mantra a bom om omkara yeah omkara and it also talks about i believe uh the doctrine of three bodies mm-hmm. which is sharira traya we call it you know waking state uh dreaming state and uh, your deep sleep state you know mm-hmm. and it is directly connected to duality and not duality Um do you feel that the uh, devotion to a guru and the the bhakti aspect also kind of help us to uh 
avoid any pitfalls as far as the ego is concerned. That one, so. you know, one one approaching this on their own without guidance and without the devotion, it it seems that if you're not careful, that that could become you could become more wrapped up in it being about yourself. That's right. It is, in fact, believed that ego is the last thing that that one can conquer on the path of moksha, because it's it is so strong. So when you become jivan mukta, last thing that goes away from you is your ahankar or your ego. Mm. So that is how deep rooted it is, mm. you know. So since we are on the topic of moksha, I would like to say a few things about jivan mukta. Mm-hmm. So you know, when you when you are on on the path of knowledge on gyan marg or gyan yog uh and you understand a lot of things you do abhyasa you do practice you become a self realized person then there are two ways if you are a householder like how you are and how i am we will try to balance our lives we will in the world of duality we are living but we will see we'll balance our lives uh like for example our management of resources would be uh, very sensible we will share it with all we we have will be will become more humble uh, we are happy with the minimal stuff that we have around we don't chase the brands we'll be away from rat race and stuff like that but if you are a sanyasi or an ascetic person you will straight off go to jivan mukt uh state which is one state before moksha where there are some other points are involved in there when it's called you will conquer all your desires there won't be any uh place for desires in you your mind will dissolve into your atma then there is something called titiksha in it that means you will not feel any uh you will not complain about uh, cold or hot, heat or somebody insulting you or somebody praising you it's just one and the same for you that is how it will happen then you'll become more more mumuksha mumukshata means you will you will desire to have moksha or final liberation that will come inside you then there is something called viveka that means you will only believe in something that is nitya nitya means uh i would say eternal uh you will very clearly make distinction between what is nitya and what is anitya nitya is always non dualistic and anitya is always from the world of maya uh-huh. so you know all those things will start coming to you and uh, then a jivan mukta person is almost a liberated person and that's how he stays and then he achieves moksha and last as you mentioned earlier ego uh, some people believe i have, i have never gone to that route yet uh we are householders right we, we use the knowledge of advaita vedanta in making this life the life that i live in duality a balanced life but of course after many many years i will we all will take that path because we are practicing uh uh meditation uh shravan manan and nidhyasan every day so that transformation will take us there some day but right now we are active we have bills to pay uh, we have uh, you know i have got a job i got a responsibility so i i cannot become jivan mukta but an ascetic or a sanyasi can simply say that oh, dude i am going 
to some ashram a pair of clothes i have done i'm waiting for mm-hmm. yeah that's how it is yes that would make sense because as a sannyasa too there would be uh you would, would think less accumulation of karma that you would have as a householder <laughs> yeah and uh, also i'd like to, to talk about my gurus because it is nothing we are nothing without our gurus and there's no doubt about it and it is very important for us to spread my the name of my gurus and their amazing work so that most more people understand who they are and they start following them and bring transformations in their lives so uh my first guru of course is adi shankaracharya and uh, who uh, a 7th or 8th century uh, ancient guru and you can say all the gurus and all people who talk about advaita vedanta after that he laid foundation for everyone mm-hmm. he he is the one who uh, very clearly told that uh, all this uh, maya atman everything and plus amazing literature is available written by him uh, called we follow three books uh called prasthanatrayi and the first book is uh, upanishads but as interpreted by adi shankaracharya mm-hmm. because there are many interpretations right and adi, adi shankaracharya's interpretation is non dualistic then we follow another book called brahma sutra and that is also adi shankaracharya's interpretation because those ancient scriptures are all in sanskrit language and mm-hmm. he has interpreted and there are many translations available in all languages then there is of course bhagavad gita again as interpreted by adi shankaracharya and there are amazing uh, uh poems he has written you know like atma shatakam is there oh, yes. but of course yeah uh, uh only a higher level gyani should uh, i mean anybody can listen to it but the profound understanding happens only if you are a higher level gyani and if you listen to atma shatakam because if you are a early gyani then obviously you are going to miss it because he won't understand what is antakaran is what is chitta is what is you know so mm-hmm. but it also it also has a compressed knowledge of advaita vedanta and uh, then you have sadhana panchakam again very high level philosophy compressed mm-hmm. in that then again you have uh, bhajagovindam that's is so beautiful bhajagovindam it says that you know why are you getting stuck in language and grammar get to the mm-hmm. main point you know and such amazing in a lyrical form he has written so naman to adi shankaracharya he is the uh, everything in advaita vedanta uh, you know he has laid the foundation for everybody and uh, after that of course uh, swami vivekananda who mm-hmm. has taken advaita vedanta all over the world and his famous speech in chicago is very famous mm-hmm. he told the world that uh, advaita vedanta is monism and uh, earlier everybody thought that hinduism is polytheism but uh, you know and uh, amazing i mean that gentleman so he he changed the whole uh, about patriotism about he made advaita vedanta very practical and available for everybody he also made sure that advaita vedanta knowledge doesn't only remain a philosophy so that he also made sure that this people those who got this knowledge also uh, gave it back to the society he brought social work and you know helping people aspect mm-hmm. to it so and a lot of things i mean we can go on about swami vivekananda then of course we have uh, 
Ramana Maharshi. And uh, Ramana Maharshi's uh, three most important uh, messages are, um, first of all, uh, who am I? He just used to tell his disciple, go get in, into a silent place, sit quietly with stillness and ask, who am I? And contemplate. That is one. He also spoke about self-inquiry, which is uh, again asking, who am I? And he had tremendous faith in uh, silence. I mean, he, he hardly spoke many words he, he, because that is how, that is when your Atma manifests itself. I mean, if you're in a chaotic situation, everything is changing, then there's no scope that you will have time to look inside or there's no perfect atmosphere for you to look inside. You don't, your, your orientation is always outwards. So that is uh, Ramana Maharshi and he... Uh, didn't give too much importance to scriptures. Uh, of course, uh, he knew everything about it, but not uh, not like Adi Shankara or uh, Swami Vivekananda. Mm -hmm. And uh, then, of course, uh, Nisargadatta Maharaj, uh, the youngest of the lot. And he lived in my city, urban city, and he was a householder, unlike earlier three. And uh, he was a very practical man. He, he, he His biggest strength was he said that I have complete trust in, in the mantra that Guru has given me. And uh, he was a very intuitive person. He, uh, he had that transcendental knowledge which used to just flow from his mouth and uh, he used to nail it. I mean, he used to judge what the question from where it comes and he used to answer any question that was thrown at him. Mm -hmm. And uh, his, uh, some of his main important uh, uh, thoughts, I would say, would be, uh, he always says that nothing is everything and everything is nothing. And he said, two things drive you in the world of duality where we live in. The first one is fear and the second one is desire. You mm -hmm. conquer that. That's it. Very simple man, simple thoughts and uh, amazing. So, my naman to my gurus. Yes, when I was, uh, when I was in Mumbai, or Powan, or Powai, rather, where oh. I stayed going yeah. to uh, Chimai Mission. Yeah. Um, I um, I had hoped to visit where I saw that there were satsangs still where Sri Nisargadatta Maharaj, uh, uh, I guess it must have been above his, uh, he had a, a shop, right? Um, yeah. Where, where he sold cigarettes or beadies, right? Yeah. That's and right. um, and I was hoping to go there, but unfortunately it didn't work out. But um, I would have had to gone into Mumbai to visit. Getting around was a little bit difficult, but that would yeah, have been come, wonderful. Come over, come over. I'm in Mumbai, so maybe we'll go to. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> I, I hope the building still exists. But mm -hmm. there's another building where I've been to, which is his, uh, which is his samadhi. They call it where his ah. uh, stat statue is there and people sit around and it all. Mm -hmm. I've been to that building. Mm. But the old building that you're talking about probably got demolished and there's some... Uh, yeah, I, I had read, while I was there, I read somewhere online that there were satsangs somewhere. Yeah. But, uh, but I, and that's where I was assuming they were, but probably not. I mean, you never know if you're lucky, we'll be able to see that place and it would, mm. be, it would be so much, so mm -hmm. nice to actually sit there in the same space mm -hmm. where our gurus sat some, some many, many years back. Yeah. Yes, that would be. Uh, yes. Another thing I would like to mention about gurus is because I have made a note here because most of my gurus, they died very young. 
like for example uh, it is believed that adi shankaracharya the 7th or 8th century guru he died at the age of 32 mm-hmm. in sadhana in sadhana and uh, swami vivekananda was born in 1863 and died in 1902 so he barely lived 39 to 40 years wow so mm-hmm. so young and the last two gurus of course they lived very long Mm-hmm. Uh, Ramana Maharshi, 1879 was born, 1958 or 58 or something he died. So he lived till the age of 70. Nisargadatta Maharaj uh, was born in 1897, died in 1981. So he lived the, till the age of 84. So mm-hmm. last two gurus lived really long and the first two gurus really died early. But the best part is Nisargadatta Maharaj always said that I was never born and I never died. that's a beautiful thing to say because mm-hmm. you are you you cannot identify yourself with your body and your mind your consciousness your pure awareness so uh you are never born you never die yes and that, uh, i know that coming to a full awareness of that is one thing but just having an intellectual understanding of it is another yeah. but even i think even with an intellectual understanding it's um it's a good philosophy to understand that I'm not the body and especially I'm not the mind yeah, because exactly. so much, so much of our suffering takes place. Well, everything yeah. takes place in the mind really <laughs> in consciousness. So yeah. most, so much of our suffering is because of identification with the mind. Right. Don't you yeah. think? I absolutely agree with you. And in fact, in, uh, uh, in Indian, uh, Darshanas, you know, mind, uh, there's a lot of, evolution that happened in the ancient uh, uh, world you know like everything has evolved for many many centuries and after that only they have reached to some certain conclusions mm-hmm. uh, that is the beauty of ancient knowledge uh, similarly what when we talk about mind uh, our ancient people have studied mind so much for so many centuries probably i don't know thousands of centuries and they came they divided mind into four parts the first one is called manas which is uh, where the thought comes then comes buddhi buddhi is the part that takes the decision then chitta is your memory or your uh, you know the what that stuff that is in your dna the basic instincts kind of thing mm-hmm. chitta and ahankar which is also which is called ego so all these four things uh you know they're they're called antakaran they're not four together they're called antakaran and uh while in english we only have this word mind mm-hmm. but uh, it is there there are so many divisions and it has just not come out overnight you know it has this so much of research so much of uh study that has gone into it for centuries by rishis mm-hmm. and that is the funniest part sometimes i see that you know some of these uh, so called indian modern people who are aping the west now and they dismiss a lot of things which are there in our ancient culture uh, primarily because they don't they don't they haven't understood it so instead of embracing it the easiest way is to dismiss it and right. uh, criticize it and say it that it's all superstition and there's no base in science and stuff like that so this is ridiculous i mean 
if something that has evolved through centuries you give it some respect try to learn it and if you don't get it then of course you have a right to say but without actually getting into it you start criticizing it is strange i mean and it and it's interesting too because um you know from from what i can tell in my reading that science has come to the same conclusions on things like consciousness it's like looking at uh, the deep sleep state the waking state of conscious yeah. the dreams that all of that fits right i mean that's exactly what they're saying now and this thousands of years old excellent so. yes <laughs> like for example you know the dream state the modern size as a world like a rapid eye moment sleep mm-hmm. so that, that is when the dreams the dreams actually happen mm-hmm. so the science has a different name but uh, the ancient knowledge is always said that we all dream and it is a state it is an important state mm-hmm. you know yeah and science is acknowledged the importance of the uh, deep sleep yeah. state but only in reference to the body and the mind not yeah. understanding the significance otherwise that's right that 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 deep sleep state that we all desire where there's yeah. peace and the world goes away <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is one of the happiest states of our body but it's also a state of ignorance mm-hmm. yeah so uh this is called uh, the doctrine of uh, three bodies which is also called sharira traya mm. so that is a, a very nice uh, topic to understand duality and non duality connected to us uh the first state of our body is uh, called waking state or it is also in uh, hindi it is called jagrut avastha so it is a waking state of body where my ori- orientation is outwards and my gross body is at work so for my happiness i am oriented outwards for my uh, validation my i am oriented outwards and that is why i'm suffering a lot because i am not looking inwards so that is jagrat avastha which corresponds directly with the state of maya which is the state of duality then the next state is called swapna avastha or the dream state which modern science calls rapid eye moment state where most of the dreams they happened and that is where my subtle body is in action and i'm experiencing everything through my subtle body and my mind is also working in the first stage also mind was working but now my mind is inwardly oriented but in a very weird way because it is uh it is creating dreams it is creating an illusion inside an illusion if i live in the world of maya if i'm in, in an illusion it creates an illusion inside an illusion kind of thing so that is also connected to without doubt duality because there are two things there's no oneness here and the third state is called shushupti or uh, deep sleep state where um, fortunately for god's sake that mind is not working and uh, uh, it is a, it is a sleep but my consciousness is not asleep my consciousness is my pure awareness is not asleep hmm. and it is considered the happiest state it is con- but also it is considered a state of ignorance where we never come to know what happened and uh, and the beauty about these three states is is the you are 
pure consciousness during all these three states of uh, duality you are not the body you are not the mind you are the watcher you are the seer you are the pure awareness who is watching these, these three things you are not you are not them that is and then comes a state which is now we are talking about non duality all these states mm. are duality then comes the fourth state which is called turiya which is the state of non duality where you are none of this three thing these three things have dissolved into the fourth state you are none of that and you are not even awareness you are not even consciousness there is nothing related to language there is nothing related to uh there nothing that is changing all the time there's nothing everything is still everything is silent and everything is one the state of ekatva uh, there's there's no separateness that is the state that is the state of brahman you are brahman tatvamasi uh and uh, so that is the non duality state Mm-hmm. where it is oneness but of course as i we discussed earlier a householder will have a different uh, it is not even an experience the word experience is also not, not right here right so, yeah it is self realization of an householder would be different self realization of a ascetic or a sanyasi would be different but ultimately we are all going in the same direction of moksha he will reach early because he will immediately take that path and renounce a lot of thing he will accept vairagya which is dispassion detachment and complete surrender that is vairagya he will accept vairagya very early while we will not go to vairagya very early we have to do a lot of things in this world of duality and uh, slowly slowly of course we are going to go there yeah yes yeah this is a, the sanyasins on a on a, yeah. a, a faster path i guess yeah. yeah for for sanyasi because uh, that is that is vairagya because he, he he conquers all his desires but we have not conquered our desires yet so we are not i'm still wearing a nice clothes i'm sitting on a sofa and i finding it find it comfortable and i would be a little irritated if i sit on a hard surface and you know, stuff like that and there's no denying because mm-hmm. we live in the world of duality and uh, that's how i'm conditioned but i know that one day i have to go there right but, uh, titiksha again yeah, right yeah yeah <laughs> i'm trying yeah i'm trying in titiksha everywhere i mean uh, you should eat the kind of food which is very simple there's mm-hmm. no indulgence i'm trying to do that in my daily life i try to eat food which is which is basic simple food and which is very healthy also Mm-hmm. and uh, if you if you indulge in food there's no limit there's no limit there's no line you can draw every day you would like to eat something very fancy something tasty something you know mm-hmm. and uh, you know, the the desires can become uh, insatiable <laughs> no doubt tell me ram something about your yes. your martial arts background and i'm really keen to know martial arts Um, yeah yeah i i follow ufc a lot i uh you know the ufc wrestling uh, championship that oh. you know, oh yeah. yes um, in the world of maya why not <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> entertainment um yeah. i um mine is uh primarily uh 
Japanese and Chinese uh, martial arts, uh, karate and kung fu. And I did that as um, as a teenager and in my, my 20s. And then my 30s, I got into yoga. Okay. And I still do some of that. As far as other martial arts here in the U.S., yeah, I don't I don't really follow the wrestling. Um, yeah, okay. have have a couple of friends that are boxers, but <laughs> but other than that, yeah. now yeah. there are Indian martial arts, which may be the very source of uh, a lot of the other martial arts. The, uh, yeah, the um, is it uh, Kalari? Yeah, Kalari Paiatos. Yeah, I also may be killing the pronunciation. I don't know. It's a little complicated pronunciation. Mm -hmm. I think it's Kaladi Patu or something. Yeah, mm -hmm. Kalario, yeah. maybe. <clears throat> yes, and that's that's quite an interesting martial art. Yeah, believed to be the most ancient martial arts form ever. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it would make sense since in the history yeah. in the history of that, they always told us that it began with a an Indian Buddhist monk who traveled from India to China, yeah, and that's true. Yeah, mm -hmm. carried it with them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so you were you also mentioned um, uh, discussing destiny, east and west. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that subject. Yeah. Mm -hmm. See, yeah, because uh, when I started, I I don't know whether you know it or not, but uh, I was an atheist many many years back. Yeah, I was. Uh, though I had. Then I started believing there must be some energy, become kind of agnostic. And, you know, like today's teenagers, I was also, I didn't know what kind of wealth my own ancient civilization or culture holds. Mm. And I was just uh, part of, big part of a rat race and doing things that I avoid doing now. So, and after that, of course, I bought, I had, a, I did something connected to cows and I was serving cows and I was doing meditation and you know that really helped me and uh, then I found Advaita Vedanta I started following various gurus and and then it was it I think just uh, fell into the right slots and you know the puzzle was completed for me mm -hmm. and uh, it was very calming and then I then I never felt of finding something new because I realized that all my, most of my answers are, uh, questions are answered, is what I felt. So, so before that also, I used to follow a lot, uh, the Western philosophy aspect. You know, mm -hmm. I used to, I, some of West, some of, uh, some Western philosophers like, uh, Schopenhauer and Nietzsche, you know, I, they're my favorite. And uh, Schopenhauer, of course, has a very strong connection with uh, Indian culture and Vedanta, especially and Upanishad. Oh, really? I didn't know yes. that. Yes, yes, very strong. Yeah, and uh, he, in fact, Schopenhauer had said that uh, Upanishads is one of the best creation made by human uh, ever. Uh, is is uh, that's what he had said and. Uh, there's another very interesting sentence. I hope I'm not killing it. It was like, uh, Indian uh, culture is more intuitive and internal, while Western culture is more external and uh, uh, intellectual. 
is uh, something like that so he basically and he was one person who always believed in austerity which is very very close to indian culture yes you know? so, yeah sanyasi is like uh, his his ascetics are they believe in austerity and uh, nietzsche of course was he earlier he used to follow schopenhauer big time and then he became independent uh, mm. he had independent then he denied a lot of thoughts probably by schopenhauer and uh, he had own thoughts but uh, it he is a part of that lineage i would like to believe that he is a part of that lineage mm. so i used to i used to follow nietzsche and uh, schopenhauer a lot so there are when we talk about destiny in advaita vedanta see this nisradatta maharaj always said that don't ever get entangled in concepts ideas and definitions i love that because you know it's 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 non duality that is the basic thing man why are you getting into words and language and you know defining things you will get that is how maya grabs you you know and doesn't let you move ahead and uh, our our language is 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 limited it is dualistic there's yeah so uh in advaita vedanta as i said the destiny means nothing because as long as you get on the path of gyan or path of knowledge that's enough our true destiny is death frankly speaking that's the only thing i know i'm going to meet but destiny that we talk about in the world of maya keeps changing like for example i wanted to become a millionaire okay some people say that's my destiny i become a millionaire now but after i become a millionaire i find another destiny i find there's another goal for me i have so if something that keeps changing it can't be nit it's not eternal it's not permanent if it is not permanent it is in the world of maya so for me if you ask what is your destiny my destiny is my destiny was to be on the path of knowledge and i am on the path of knowledge and that's enough for me mm-hmm. and if you ask me if you press me to tell me what is my real destiny i would say my real destiny is death mm-hmm. because i know in the world of maya that that is everybody's going to be there exactly yeah yes and, and then the western take on this is also very interesting which i love which is nietzsche's uh, uh, take on destiny he he used this term called amor fati which is a which is a roman or italian uh, word amor mm-hmm. fati mm-hmm. which means uh, love your destiny ah uh, and symbolically it basically means that uh, you live every moment intensely don't crib so you know there are people who say oh i should have had a million dollars more i'm so sad you know mm-hmm. that's not the way you live even if you have 1 dollar in hand celebrate live it intensely be in that moment that was his uh, symbolism uh, as i said and again upanishads is all about symbolism and mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, if you are not that is why you need a guru more than any darshans in india you need guru in nan marg more you need guru more on the knowledge of path because it's the interpretation interpretation if the interpretation is wrong we would be nowhere yes yeah um another topic you had mentioned um escapism yeah 
well see philosophy if it is used for enhancing your life and the lives of others that is swami vivekananda's approach then philosophy makes sense otherwise philosophy is also useless so if i am using the knowledge that i have about advaita vedanta and if i'm using that knowledge to enhance my life and the lives of others then it is the best use of that darshan or that philosophy so i believe that if i bring some balance in my life in in the life that i live in the world of duality in maya then that's amazing that is the best use of that philosophy when escapism is when when i use that knowledge to run away from reality Mm. because i say that i don't want to work so if i use this knowledge and just no i don't want to work i want to do i sit in corner and do meditation or you know something to become lazy something to become uh someone who gives excuses all the time if you start using that then it is escapism mm. another aspect of escapism is the escapism used by ignorance like earlier we discussed that some people indians uh who don't know what kind of wealth they have around them or in their culture so they dismiss what they don't understand without studying vedanta they said this is superstition this is stupid it has no base so i don't want to do it i'm happy with my rat race i'm happy with chasing the brands i'm happy happy in my city life which is so meaningless frankly speaking but uh, that is escapism of the ignorance so that is escapism is very bad whether it is practiced by someone who knows philosophy or someone who doesn't even know abcd of that philosophy mm. yeah that's what i meant yes makes sense does make yes. sense oh absolutely yes yes and i can see how that yeah that could be the case especially if you don't have the proper guidance another very interesting aspect about i remember about uh, adi shankar acharya is uh, he had given so much freedom for people those who practice advaita vedanta uh, in fact he had said that uh, you there are three ways you can judge anything in the world of maya three ways uh one is if somebody asks that is this right is this is this an object how will i know using my i'm just giving an example how will i understand this he said use three aspects one is shruti shruti mean it is written is it written in scriptures find out but now of course this is a mobile phone so it is not written in scriptures but it's something let's say one example like titiksha we're talking about mm. titiksha mm-hmm. now uh, i want to know whether is titiksha is is it legit or is it some sort of fake stuff so he said go go on and find out so titiksha is written in uh, upanishads of course in brahma sutra it is mentioned in vek chudaman it is mentioned so okay now it is legit because it is written there then come to second point use your yukti yukti he said yukti means use your own reasoning your own logic and try to analyze things so i analyze it titiksha yes at some stage we should not worry about comforts more and some stage we should not think too much about insults and praise treat it one fair enough 
third point use your anubhav he gave maximum importance to anubhav anubhav means your own personal experience and remember he had told this story example about a snake a coil of snake which was thought to be a coil of rope no it was actually a coil of rope which was misunderstood as a coil of snake right so that is an example so similarly if he <clears throat> says that if you and what your anubhav says about that will change the entire perception once you know that this is not snake this is rope that is your personal experience your perception about everything will change accordingly similarly he said that if it is written in scriptures that fire is cold and your personal experience says that fire is hot then throw everything away throw your scriptures away throw your yukti away and believe in your personal experience which says fire is hot that's good that, yes that's amazing freedom we have in understanding this and uh, that is why i always feel sad for some of these people who uh, dismiss advaita vedanta even in my own country without properly studying it and it is so simple it is just your and everything is inside i i think some of that too i wonder if it's um um just not having a complete understanding i think i think sometimes when people hear that the world is not real yeah. that they they dismiss it as not having a practical application yeah and uh, when obviously it does i mean for those those of us who've gone at least even a little bit into it you can see that yeah. yes it should change the way you are in the in the world and it's not enough it's never enough for me to stress on this that you don't get into reading too many books that's why we have uh prasthanatrayi these three books are enough to start with when you become when you reach a certain level uh you become a middle level gyani then of course you will have wisdom to choose the right kind of books mm-hmm. but here it's an ocean out there mm-hmm. and you're jumping into the motion to find out a small pearl you're not never going to get it so you dive into an area which guru tells you dive here and you'll find stuff there do that so that makes sense yes sort of, and it is it is otherwise it's it's so confusing the biggest criticism uh hinduism or sanatan has is we don't understand anything because there's so much mm-hmm. because because you don't have someone to guide you take hold your hand and take you to the point that is the problem it is vast <laughs> it is yes <clears throat> it is an ocean out there yes definitely yeah well this this is really good this is uh, very helpful i um i appreciate your time um, I, i really i really enjoyed talking to you ram and, and i i really respect and uh, i uh, appreciate your contribution in the world of yoga and vedanta and what you're doing is simply amazing and you you are an inspiration i'm not saying it just because we're talking but i've seen your videos i've seen i you're fit like an athlete man oh, thank you thank you you're amazing yeah you uh you i you sent me your website you've got um you've you've got some things going on too are you are you uh leading any meditation groups or yeah there in mumbai uh, they're in mumbai but it's not a 
big group kind of meditation class i have whenever i i have a day job basically and it's a bombay mumbai is a very tough place and mm-hmm. i have to earn my money you know run my house and stuff like that so most of my activities uh, restricted spiritual activities restricted to weekends and uh, you know traveling to some holy places i love meeting sadhus and sitting with them having chai and discussing mm-hmm. because i don't believe in this so called five star gurus and uh, right. those yeah i i i i love to meet people those who have made who have given up everything from the world of maya and have started walking on the path of mm-hmm. uh, uh moksha they want mm-hmm. moksha or they, they they have done some real uh what do you say sacrifices in their lives you know it's fun talking to such people that the genuine people so i but the point is i am giving my time for spirituality on weekends mostly mm-hmm. and whenever i find out that some person is interested in walking on the path of spirituality or on the path of knowledge i offer my one hour to that person so mm-hmm. that i can teach him meditation and uh, the aspect of contemplation mm-hmm. because uh, i teach meditation professionally mm-hmm. but that one hour whoever asks from me is completely free of cost mm-hmm. because my job is to bring him on that path and then right. what that's it that's it that's is uh, like the kind of destiny stuff that we discussed right then right. if you are running on that path you are going in the right direction then you will find your guru you will do everything you will do some initial help we can offer we can tell them to follow these these advaita vedanta gurus and uh, that's it you really don't have to do anything more going in a different direction you mentioned your day job and i see that you've been quite involved in the, yeah. in the documentaries and got quite a bit of things on the internet movie database yeah. yeah yeah and that's uh directing produce producing both yeah sometimes i do that but my real passion is of course documentaries because um, of my interest in history and you know ancient world and stuff like that so i uh, my real passion is documentary but there's no money in documentaries mm. uh, but i then i try to do some work in uh, in fiction area i i'm associate myself with some uh, film work and uh, i try to you know that's my profession mm-hmm. and uh, it's fun it's a nice place mm-hmm. so there's there are more illusions i'm adding to my basic illusion of maya <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's one way to look at it yes uh, multiple layers of illusion yes. but the, but your understanding of advaita vedanta brings a lot of clarity you can laugh it off <laughs> yes yes it helps doesn't it uh, yeah. well thank you so much rajesh i i appreciate your time um i'm when i post this i'll i'll put your information in there too and the link to your website uh in the description and i'd like to stay in touch absolutely loved uh, talking to you ram and uh, again uh i would like to invite you to one of my i have a podcast called uh, no hit podcast where mm-hmm. i talk to people from different walks of life and it would be an honor uh, if we could appear if you could appear on one of those 
uh, podcast that I record maybe someday. Oh, I would love to. Now, I, I, I've seen that on YouTube. Is it also is just an audio podcast or is it just YouTube? It's just YouTube right now. Oh, okay. Yes. No, I'd love to do that. That would be great. Thank you so much. Okay. Great. All right. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Sure. Uh Thank you.